Hi there. What I'd like to talk to you about today is some misconceptions on the topic of spiritual teachers and the awakening process. I've had quite a few people in the last five to six weeks who have been going through different awakening experiences and having some confusions around spiritual teachers, some of them having a breakup with a teacher, some of them just being confused around what the actual role between a teacher and themselves is, and some just about the actual process of waking up. So I've talked about these different topics at different times, but I wanted to revisit it while it's still fresh in terms of some people's experiences that I'm working with and just in my own mind. So one of the first things about doing spiritual work is that it's very easy to confuse it with psychological work. Now, I know I've talked about this a lot. It's something that people still get confused with and don't differentiate. I had an amazing teacher, one of my first teachers, which was actually a professional colleague when I was doing healing work, starting healing work. This is in the 80s. I had some awakening processes myself. And I met this incredible man who had this full-blown awakening in front of me that really helped my own process. And I'll do a little digression here, tell you some magical stories about this person. It was literally out of storybooks. I've probably had eight or ten profound experiences in my life that are not explainable by the conscious mind. And this was one of those basically magical ones. So I'm hanging out with this lovely gentleman, and he basically blows his top, for lack of a better description, like a full-on awakening, like storybook kind of thing, where his body starts going into these crazy kriyas and mudras, and his body's moving. And literally, um, the TV, we're in this room watching TV, the TV actually blows out, and then the whole circuitry in the house goes out. And then we're in this house on top of a hill, and literally the electricity starts going out, like looking down the hill. Now, who knows? Maybe it was just a power surge. But it actually gets wilder than that. So as I'm hanging out with him in the dark and light a candle, and there's so much heat coming off of this guy. Like, I literally cannot get close to him. Like, it's as if there's a wood stove in the room. And I start sitting back. And there were a couple of other people there as well. And we all start laughing hysterically. It's like as if we all got high on magical dose of mushrooms. And we're laughing so hard that we're all crying. And he becomes an oracle. So literally, the guy that I knew isn't there anymore. Like literally, a part of him is not there. And his personality was really never the same afterwards. He had softened even more than the sweet, soft, gentle man that he was. And he starts just saying stuff, like any questions that anybody in a room had, he would start talking and he would talk about your past lives and your future lives. Now, this is over 30 years ago, I want to say. Some of the stuff that he said to me in that evening have still come to pass. Like there's still that stuff that happens every once in a while. I'm like, oh my God, he actually talked about that. Just an interesting side note about the non-linearity of time. We're also hypnotized into thinking that times move forward in a linear fashion, which in fact, as we know from quantum physics, it doesn't. But this was a direct experience of it. So he's going on and talking about things, and it was so intense that literally everybody was altered. This sort of oracle-ness went on for a couple of weeks, I want to say. 
So I'm spending time with this person. And one of the most profound lessons that I learned from it, and I'm digressing, but I'm going to come back. I just want to share this, is he asked me one time, what are you looking for? And I said to him, I want to be of service. I want to serve people. I want to serve this plane. And my own awakenings had really opened up my own bhakti, my own devotional aspects of myself, which was such a part of my familial upbringing and also just who I am as a person. And he looks at me and he goes, there's no one to serve. Find out who you are. No one needs service. Remembrance where it's at. And it literally was like somebody had smacked me in the third eye with a jackhammer. It hit me so hard. I was on such a bodhisattva trip. And part of it from a beautiful place, but part of it from a place of psychological wounding, as I would learn many decades later. So there's no one to serve. It's all one. And yet we go on with our lives. That was sort of what he was saying to me. Now, this person was literally what we think of a spiritual awake person. Incredibly sweet, incredibly kind. Animals and kids would just be attracted to him. It was pretty incredible. I mean, literally be walking outside and the birds would start flying around and butterflies. I mean, it was really quite a beautiful thing. He was in a relationship with this person that didn't seem right to me. There was something off about it. And I remember sort of broaching a topic with him at some point, being like, well, you have this experience this person has no idea, but there doesn't seem to be a deep connection with you. And he was married at the time. And his thing was like, it doesn't matter. This is what I do. It doesn't matter. This is somebody that I deeply respect. He was very clean. This person never did anything off on any level. He'd spend hours and hours and days and days with me. There was never, you know, a weird energy. He was never off with any of his clients or patients that he worked with and was really, really genuine person. So I let it go. Fast forward decades and decades later, I get a call from him and we would keep in touch maybe once a year, here and there. We're both so busy in our own lives, living in different states. And he starts talking to me about this incredible woman that he's met and how he needs to really get out of his marriage and be with this person. And I remember what had happened many decades ago and saying to him, hey, I said this to you at this time, didn't it? He was like, yeah, it didn't really register at the time because I was in that oneness space and it didn't really register with me that this wasn't something appropriate with me, for me. And now that I've met this person, I actually feel like this is something that I want to experience. Now, this guy is awake, right? He's had this profound experience. You know, I really haven't met anyone who really had a part of their personality so clear. But that's because he already was so clear. Um, when he had these experiences, he was so clean, incarnationally clean, that there wasn't a lot of psychological issues he had to deal with. This was one thing that he had to deal with. So he had actually softened a lot. He had such an ego softening that he was even sweeter after his awakening. But this part about his relationship wasn't cleared. So spiritual awakening beyond Kundalini. I mean, I've been around Kundalini experiences. I've had them myself. This was a whole different level. I mean, when I say magical stuff, this went on for like, I want to say months. This crazy stuff would happen around this guy. Literally this oracleness, literally the heat that would come off of him, the kriyas, just the sweetness and the healing that would happen in his presence. That is a real thing when people tap into these different aspects of consciousness. And yet, as I always talk about, the psychological woundings don't magically go away. 
So for those of you who are having these awakening processes or have had them in the past, tend to those places. We still have to get off the bus of consciousness at some times, the uber consciousness, and deal with our personalities issues so we can actually fully surrender it. So with some of these patients that I've been working with, they were kind of butting up against us. A couple of them had these really, really intense Kundalini experiences where they were really, really wide, wide open. And yet they were dealing with fears. They were dealing with crazy landlords. They couldn't wrap their heads around it. If they've had this oneness experience, why are they having such a hard time in this realm of duality? Remember that it's a process and it's not an event. And these people weren't suffering from what many people suffer from, which is an inflated ego. The feeling of, I'm special, look what's happening. As opposed to, I'm unique. And that's the second thing that I want to talk about. The level of ego trip that we can get to on a spiritual path. Like I always say to you, we're not special. If you're feeling special anywhere in your process, something is dramatically wrong. One can have awareness of one's uniqueness, but the softening process means the specialness goes. That's something wonderful to pay attention to, right? So we also have this misconception with spiritual teachers that, oh, they're so special. No one's special. This is not to put someone down. It's not to really honor the fact that they have this incredible uniqueness. But the word that we're looking for, the feeling that we're looking for, is uniqueness. If a spiritual teacher is putting themselves up above you. These things sound so obvious, but you'd be amazed how many of us, myself certainly, went down this rabbit hole, will not understand that. And that, again, is really bastardized by this mommy-daddy wounding that many of us carry and we project on these teachers. Unless the teacher is super clear and can hold space for you and understand that you're projecting on them, That's where all these really twisted things happen in these relationships, right? So we have to really remember not to check our brain at the door, which is the third thing. It's very easy to give our power over. It's actually amazing, regardless of where we're at, spiritually, politics, health, we're all dying to give our power over because we sense that there's a responsibility with holding our own power and would rather give it away to somebody else instead of learning how to hold it for ourselves. So, not checking our brain at the door and learning how to hold responsibility for ourselves. At the end of the day, we are the ones responsible. I know there are many spiritual schools and paths that talk about surrendering to the teacher. Dangerous business. That's obviously your business. Your mileage might vary from mine. In my own experience, both personally as well as clinically observing people, it always gets tricky because our shit seeps in and we all have our woundings. So the best that we can hope for is that the other person has done enough work on themselves where they're not going to pull their wounding and then be activated by your wounding. So these are really important topics. Now, another place where we can get into trouble is when we confuse the spiritual teacher and ask them for things that have nothing to do with awakening. So we confuse the spiritual teacher with someone who, for example, would give us relationship advice. So I talked about this before, I wrote about it. I had a teacher 
And a friend of mine also was studying with this person. I had stopped studying with this person, you know, years after. They were lovely and very powerful teacher, but I was done with what I want to get out of there. And it's like a decade later or 15 years later. And it just happened that a friend of mine was studying with this monk. And he was in some relationship issues and he wanted some advice about his relationship. And I remember literally just like my head fell off my body being like, man, this guy is a monk. He has never been in a relationship. Like, are you insane? Like, are you asking this person who's never been in a relationship about relationship issues? He's from a different culture, a different time, you know, twice your age. It's not that somebody can't have some wisdom around it, but that's not the place to bring that specific issue to. This person is a meditation master. Profound. You would actually walk in a room where this old man was doing his thing and your mind would get quiet immediately. Profound. Does that mean that this person can give you financial advice or cooking advice or, you know, relationship advice? Well, maybe cooking, maybe something he learned. If he's a monk and has never been in relationship on that level with somebody and he's from a totally different culture, how can that apply? It doesn't mean he might not have some insight, but the place for that is psychological work, not spiritual work. This dear friend of mine had deep father woundings, yet lost his father at a young age, so of course, unconsciously, he would find someone like that and project that out. Now, this teacher was very lovely, so he didn't really mess with this person, but he did give him some, you know, weird-ass advice that didn't make sense. And this friend of mine is not stupid, the super smart person, right? Super intelligent, super successful in the business world because he's so smart. So smart has nothing to do with it. What we're talking about here is the unconscious. Our unconscious runs the show in these experiences. So here's a very deep spiritual person who's a teacher. He's a super smart guy who's got actually tons of spiritual practice under his belt, even had done a lot of therapy. But this father wounding would just kick in and come in. Now, this could have been all kinds of disasters had he not been as smart as he is and kind of caught himself and realized what was going on. Now, we all do this to some extent. I see this in spiritual communities all the time. People project all kinds of things on these teachers, which is not fair to them either, right? Especially teachers that come from different cultures. There's a whole different level of relationship there. So this is something else to be aware of. One more thing is that people have this idea that when these spiritual energies happen, everything starts getting, I don't know, easy, like we land on our butt and land on milk and honey. It's not like that. When we have these spiritual experiences, and many times it actually gets harder to be in this realm because till we find our footing, on one level, we have this feeling of oneness. And on one level, a cup of coffee still costs six bucks or whatever it is at Starbucks. So just because we have these awarenesses doesn't mean all of a sudden all these issues come together. We still have to get there and hustle. Now, there is something as the ego softens, if you work through our fear, things flow easier. This is a real thing. Our fear, our anxiety, our neuroses, they are like mud. They do slow things down in terms of manifestation, for lack of a better word. But you still have to get out there and work and still communicate and still deal with relationships. 
So this magical thinking of our culture very much has seeped into this spiritual awakening piece of spirituality right now. And it's something that needs to be addressed. One last thing. I was just reading something where some people were commenting on some spiritual teacher and one of them had said, one of the you know, people that was writing something was saying to the effect of, real spiritual teachers don't charge money. It's like, really? Now, if you live in India, if you live in Japan, if you live in Thailand, if you live in some culture where there is a school, and in the school, the teacher is sitting there and she is being supported by all the students who bring her food, who pay for the ashram, pay for the school, by all means. Some teacher that's living in Colorado or Washington State, he has to live, she has to live. How is she going to pay her bills? How is he going to keep the school open? So we have this weird-ass conceptions, again, concepts about what spirituality is, what spiritual teachers should do. Much more clean when a spiritual teacher is like, yeah, this is whatever amount. Come into this meditation circle for me, with me or come sit for 10 days. Way more clean. We live in a culture where money is an object that we are not only hypnotized by, but very much focused on. So there's a level of exchange that happens. You give me the money, I give you this. We have to get out of this magical thinking. We have to really keep both feet on the ground and understand what we're looking at, what are we looking with, and what are we looking for.